that. There are some leaders there that will take you down to the back. All right. I know Alyssa already stood up, um, and she expressed her gratitude um, for, uh, for the blessing that uh, we received from you. I also want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to this church um, for, yeah, for, for the outpouring of love. Um, it, it really, it's one of those things that, um, yeah, for, for me, uh, being a graphic designer and stuff, it's very easy um, to get caught up in things that are measurable, Right? Like, if I have a project that's due and I need to get that done, I know when the deadline is, I know when I've succeeded at completing it. Uh, pastoral work is very different. Um, and so it means a lot to me um, for, to, to receive those uh, words of encouragement and, and those gifts and other things that you guys have poured out. So thank you very, very much for that. Um, it, I'm, it's, an, it's an honor uh, to be a part of this, of this church family. Uh, so yeah. But before, before I go any further... Uh, Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your presence here with us. I want to thank you that you love us, that you have chosen us, and that we can live lives that bring honor and glory to you. God, I just ask this morning as I speak that uh, your words would flow through me that anything that isn't of you would be removed. God, uh, I pray that hearts would be open to hear what you have to say this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so for those of you who were unable to attend last Sunday, uh, I know uh, Pat already mentioned this, but Darren started uh, started us off on a a three-part series that we're doing called, uh, we've entitled it, Modern Fears. Seems kind of appropriate given the fact that we just put Halloween behind us last Wednesday. Now, uh, when it comes to Halloween, um, I've never been the one to go all out getting dressed up and some, uh, you know, be some sort of scary creature. Uh, probably due to the fact that growing up, we were the family that would turn off the lights and go in the basement and have family night. And whenever I, whenever I dressed up for school, I was usually like a cowboy, you know, because my dad had cowboy boots and a cowboy hat, therefore that was the costume we had in our house, so that's what I was. I'm no expert in Halloween. That being said, though, I've seen some, you know, pretty crazy, like, freaky, elaborate costumes, um, but, but I think my, my favorite kind of costume uh, or costumes are, are still the, uh, and I don't mean to diss the people that put in effort and, and do all this, that's good on them, but, but my... My favorite are still the little to no effort kind of ironic joke costumes. Um, like one of the youth on Wednesday, I just wanted to share, share this with you. He wore a hat with a leaf tied on a string hanging in front of it. And, uh, and when, when asked uh, what he was, he'd go, I'm a leaf blower. <laughs> now that's the kind of costume I can get behind I don't know what all your views and opinions are on Halloween, and, and I by no means want to start a debate about it. I will say, though, uh, that at its most positive for us as Christians, Halloween can be used as a reminder that through Christ, we have nothing to fear. 
And that's exactly what we talked about at our community youth event put on by four of our local churches uh, this last Wednesday. You know, I wish you all could have been there. We, we ended up having around 70 youth from junior to senior youth age at the event, and, and we had a lot of fun playing games. And then we ended the evening with a time of, of worship together and a challenge from uh, Jesse, uh, and then some youth had testimonies. Um, and then Nick Reimer, he, he uh, presented a call to recommitment. Um, and I was so excited and encouraged to see a multitude of hands raise in response to Nick's challenge to refocus on Christ and, and perhaps even to commit to following him for the first time. It was very exciting. So I just want to uh, ask you to please continue to pray for the young people of our community, especially as they grow in their faith and, and learn what it looks like to follow Jesus today in this day and age. As I was thinking about our fear series, um, and the message I was preparing, I was struck by what Jesse shared with the youth on Wednesday. Um, he shared the story of Anna of Rotterdam, an, an Anabaptist martyr who was executed for being caught singing an Anabaptist hymn. Uh, the story becomes even more gripping when you find out that on the way to her execution, she begged anyone in the hostile crowd to please raise her one-year-old son who she was carrying with her. Talk about fear. I, I put myself in that situation and, and faced with death and, and giving up my child, I, I can't imagine not being afraid. Yet, even in the face of death and giving up her child, Anna held firm to her convictions. And in, fa and in fact, she, she left a letter tucked in her son's clothes, urging him to stand firm in the same convictions that brought her to her execution crazy. Miraculously enough, her son was taken in by a baker, and the note was preserved, and thus her story lives on. And if you're curious about it, uh, if you've ever uh, studied any Mennonite history or Anabaptist history, you can read about it in the martyr's mirror. Uh, but, but talk about facing fear. You know, I hear a story like that, and, and I think to myself, like, really, I don't know if that, if that situation, you know, is a potential on this earth, then I really don't know what fear is. I mean, faced with the types of fears that we deal with today, the fear of being executed for singing a hymn with Anabaptist themes in it, it doesn't even really compute. That being said, though, you know, maybe life and faith and God would be in better perspective if those were the types of things that we had to fear. Maybe we'd be more sure of our convictions if, we truly, if it truly were a matter of life and death. Maybe we'd realize how important our days are in the view of eternity if we were faced with the fears that our forefathers faced. I'm not wishing for persecution. I just think it's something to think about as we sit in our current state of comfort. I'm very thankful to God for the peace and the safety that we experience here in North America and that I don't have to fear being pulled out of my car for singing along to Michael W. Smith. You know, we, we may not face the same fears that our forefathers did back then, but fear is still a major part of our world. In fact, some may say that we live in a society that runs on, that's driven by fear. Now, you may look around and say, I, I, I don't know about that. People don't seem that scared, you know. But, but, I, but I think if you take a closer look, you'd realize that the things that we fear today are perhaps 
much more subtle. They're underneath the surface. In fact, we may not even recognize them as fear at all or or a fear that we have. The fears that we face today are, are probably not new to the human experience, but they still exist. And they're definitely amplified by the advertisement-saturated world we live in and the connectedness that we have thanks to social media. Let me explain a little bit what I'm talking about. From a very young age, we as parents motivate our kids through encouraging and reinforcing what we deem to be positive behavior that will lead to success as they grow up. Not necessarily a bad thing. But the way we talk to our children and reward, and reward them builds within them the notion that with enough effort, enough practice, enough drive and determination, they can be anything that they want to be. As they grow, we knowingly or not show them what we believe success to be by who we praise for achievement. You, you know, they get this from teachers and peers and, and the media as well. Maybe it's the musicians we praise, the models that turn our heads, the sports players we cheer for, or the actors we applaud. They begin to see what success means through our eyes. We celebrate every one of their successes and we tell them that they are destined for greatness and that they will one day change the world. We train them to be competitive and and to strive for achievement. Nowhere is this more evident than than on graduation day where we tell them that success is just within their reach and we send them off to pursue the career that will get them the car, the house, the family, the cabin, the vacations, and, and all the other things that we as a society have determined are symbols of success. Not only do we do this for our kids, but our parents likely did this for us. And we did this for each other as well. Everyone wants to be successful in their own right. Everyone wants to be amazing. Enter advertisers. Advertisers have figured out a long time ago that fear is a salesman's best weapon. Now, now I'm not talking about having, you know, ghosts and, and goblins jump, jump out at you during advertisements. I don't know if that would be very effective. I'm talking about the fear of not being amazing. Next to to FOMO, or, or the fear of missing out that Darren talked about last Sunday, research has shown that the fear of not being amazing is massively affecting our society today. Hey man, if you want to be seen as amazing, buy this truck. This is a tough truck for the men who are going to get the job done. Men who drive this truck are good at their jobs. In fact, look at this successful construction foreman who can drop a ton of rocks into his truck. And then look, he's made so much money, he can also pull this massive boat with his truck. Shoot, I better buy that truck. If I want to be amazing, I better buy that truck. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, nah, nah, that's just good marketing. You know, know who you're advertising to. I don't even really see commercials that much anymore. Like, we don't have TV. I've got Netflix, maybe. And and I'm not really afraid. I'm not afraid of not being amazing. Enter social media. Let me just play a little video for you.
interesting look into our society. I, I know you uh, can't read uh, what, all, what those little, the little captions you said that's kind of small from probably where you're sitting, but it said stuff like, just woke up like this, right? Or the last one there, you know, relationship goals, and then she gets likes, but it's obvious her relationship is falling apart. More than ever before, we are prompted to compare our level of success with all of our peers and beyond that, our acquaintances or even complete strangers online. Man, that photographer sure leads an interesting life. She's always happy. Her house is always clean. And and look, now she's traveling to Hawaii on vacation with her friends. She must be making a lot of money. I wish I had an amazing life like hers. I read an article from Time Magazine that says, we all know that Facebook doesn't provide a very well-rounded picture of people's lives. It's more like the cherry-picked perfection version. Often it seems like if bragging and and showing off were banned, some people wouldn't post anything at all. But despite knowing this, studies say we can't help but compare our lives to theirs. So you're wondering if your life measures up and you turn to everyone else's deliberately sculpted illusion of lifestyle perfection. This is the happiness equivalent of reading your bank statement after looking at the Forbes 400 richest people in the world list. In a recent report called Renegotiating Faith that looks at the delayed formation of identity in young adults. This is a real thing. It's a real problem that's happening. When talking about this topic, it says, although social media networks are sought out for a sense of connection, they feed comparison and feelings of anxiety, loneliness, and depression. A social media feed scrolls content off the screen so that it's no longer framed. This means that content that generated a role-validating response will soon scroll out of sight and its effect will be lost. Once out of the frame, you have lost people's attention because the next item in the feed will have grabbed it. With the loss of attention goes the certainty that you are noticed and that you still have a vital role to play in the network. It's this fear-driven cycle of wanting to be known as amazing and successful that drives people further and further into unhappiness and misery. It causes them to question who they really are and sometimes even causes them to stop trying to do things anymore because they simply don't measure up or, or they fear that they won't be seen as amazing individuals. I have nothing of value to post anyway. A, a couple years ago, one of the top Instagram models at the, uh, of the time, um, Asena O'Neill, uh, had enough of her fake life and she quit. Now, first of all, for those of you who don't know what an Instagram model is, let me explain. See, see, companies and their advertisers have recognized the power of social media. And now, they will pay popular Instagram or social media users to wear their clothes or promote their products. After all, you're most likely to buy something if you get a recommendation from someone you trust, someone you want to be like, someone you think is amazing. It's to the point where people can actually make a living simply by wearing or promoting products on their accounts, provided that they have enough followers. Asena finally had enough of the social media fake life, and when she quit, 
Despite having hundreds of thousands of followers, she deleted almost all of her posts and changed the descriptions of the ones that she left up to describe how utterly fake and meaningless every one of those pictures was. One of the last things she posted was a video explaining why she's done with social media, and, and I wanted to show you a little piece of it. Now, if you go watch the whole thing, just fair warning, she's not a Christian or anything. It's, there's expletives and other things in it, but this piece... Um, I thought was of value, so I'm just going to ask them to play it. I'm quitting social media to tell anyone, everyone who's still watching, I was miserable. I had it all, and I was miserable. Because when you let yourself be defined by numbers, you let yourself be defined by something that is not pure, that is not real, and that is not love. Likes, views, followers. We are not followers. You are not a follower. I'm not a follower. I spent 12 to 16 wishing I was this perfect person online. Then I spent 16 to 18 proving my life on social media, perfecting myself enough to be that person. Everything I did in a day was to be that perfect person online. There were shoots, styled pictures of what I was eating. I don't know, carefully edited videos on, on YouTube. I did everything in my power to prove to the world that, hey, I'm important, I'm beautiful, and I'm cool. But is making your whole day, proving to everyone else that you're amazing, is that what, is that life? Proving yourself online? Taking pictures just in hopes to get likes and compliments. Getting excited over how many likes you got or how many people follow you. It's not life. And it's not what's making you happy. You want to be valued and loved, but you also want to be free. You know how good it is just to have a day and not think about anyone else, what anyone else is doing, but be with real people? I quit social media because of my 12-year-old self. And I want everyone to know that. At 12, I was miserable because of the numbers I saw on a screen. And at 18, right now, tomorrow's my birthday, I'm 19 tomorrow. Uh, at 18, I was miserable as well, even when I had it all. I've met people that are far more successful online than I am, and they're just as miserable and lonely and scared and lost. Now, you have to remember that, that this young girl, it, she's not coming from a position of faith. She simply recognizes the damage that social media is causing in her life and decides it's no longer worth it. I don't know where she's at right now, but, but I pray that she finds true happiness, true happiness in Christ. So, what does the Bible have to say about the fear of not being amazing. Well, first of all, perhaps unsurprisingly, in my opinion, this fear is rooted firmly in sin. In fact, I'd suggest that it goes way back to the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments. If you want to read for yourself, if you don't know it by heart, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We live in a world of constant comparison. In fact, our society is built on coveting. 
I think the sales of pretty much every company would drop drastically if people weren't constantly longing to keep up with the Joneses. And it's exactly the same with the fear of not being amazing. When we constantly compare ourselves to others online, we're sinning. When we see their success, their vacations, their new motorbike, their beautiful this and their wonderful that, and, and we long to be as amazing and have what they have, we're sinning. Colossians 3 verse 5 expands on this. Let me just get there. It's probably up on the screen already. Look at that. It, and I'm reading from the ES, uh, ESV translation. Actually, I have here. I should read that because then it's going to make more sense. Um, Colossians 3 verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I, I believe in the NIV it says greed. Uh, but Paul, Paul is saying that when you long after something, when you are filled with greed and envy, you, you're creating idols in your life. So ask yourself, what are the idols in my life? Is being the most amazing and finding ultimate success an idol in my life? I mean, think about it really. Think about how you present yourself to others. Think about what you live for. Think about what you post or what you think when you see other people's live, lives up on display online. What are you really chasing in this life? Tim Keller writes this. More than other idols, personal success and achievement lead to a sense that we ourselves are God. To be the very best at what you do, to be at the top of the heap, means no one is like you. You are supreme. As Darren mentioned last Sunday, the fear of not being amazing, like the fear of missing out, is also rooted in a desire to be more than human. It is, a, it is a desire to be our own God, to be in control, and to be over all. Jesus, in, uh, in Luke chapter 12, uh, he gives a, a pretty harsh parable regarding this. It says this, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. We have all heard the sayings of Jesus in Matthew 6 verse 20 where he says, Store up your treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart? 
Is it in success in the eyes of this world? There's no happiness to be found there. Quit going back to that place to try and find your worth. Again, in Luke chapter 9, verse 24 to 25, Jesus says this. Luke chapter 9, 24 to 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit their very self, or or yet lose their soul. The Bible makes it clear that success and satisfaction will ultimately not be found in the things of this earth. In the fame, the success, the toys, the likes, the followers, and the comments. So ask yourself, am I setting my mind on the things above? Because it is in Christ where we are able to find true life and true satisfaction. Allow Jesus to be the one who defines that success and what that success looks like in your life. Now, let me warn you, there's a pitfall here as well. I know because I'm working through it myself. You may think that if you allow Jesus to be the one to define success in your life, that there should be no issues. Here's the thing. It can become very easy for us to turn this around into a legalistic thing where we define our success by how much we are doing for Jesus. It creeps in pretty subtly. Many of our pursuits in Christ start out as as pure obedience in following his commands and doing what he calls us to do out of response to his love, but it can start to easily slip into doing things for Christ so that he will love us and so that we will be accepted. That's legalism. That's religiosity. Can easily fall into that. I haven't shared a lot openly about where I've been at the past year or so. Most of you know that I, that I quit my halftime position as a graphic designer at Country Graphics and, and that Alyssa and I went to a pastoral retreat center at the beginning of fall. But, but I haven't talked a lot about why. To keep it brief, let me just say that over the past years or so, I believe I've been in what I would call a brownout. I don't feel like I was entirely burnt out, but I was definitely headed in that direction. The symptoms and the warning signs of it became more evident to me as friends and family and those close to me started to point out the differences that they noticed in me. And one of the things that God revealed to me while Alyssa and I were at at the Careth Retreat Center is that I'd fallen right into this fear of not being amazing. I was measuring my success by all the things I was doing for God rather than living in the truth of who I am in Christ. I look back over the past 16 years of my life and I realize that ever since high school, I've been working in ministry. It's like I was trying desperately to always do more things for God rather than simply be with Him in a relationship Even though this is a truth and a challenge that I'd preach, I'd speak to the youth about it, it seems it still wasn't sinking in for me. And so now here I am, I'm I'm relearning slowly who I am in Christ and finding that in fact I am amazing because he's the one who makes me amazing. 
And that's where the truth lies to defeating the fear of not being amazing. If you want to be amazing in God's eyes, let me just quickly point you to three truths found in the Bible. Number one, recognize your identity in Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, sorry, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're no longer a, a part of this world soaked in sin. Galatians 2 verse 20, let me read it for you. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You're a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. There's no sense in comparing yourself to others around you because the only opinion that really matters is what Jesus thinks of you. And by his grace and through his sacrifice, he sees you as pure and holy through him. There are times in life when we can slip back into old habits and become insecure in our faith. I've been there and maybe you've been there as well, but, but that's because we keep trying to find our value in all the wrong places and all the wrong things. In Christ, we are firm and secure. We sing the song, we have an anchor that keeps our soul steadfast and firm while the billows roll. That's found in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. God is always with us. And we'll always have the stamp of approval from him. We never have to try harder for him to love us more. We never have to beg him to stay. Because all of those things are simply part of his character, part of who he is. His unshakable love is who he is. And as Christians, we're part of it too. It's, it's our identity. Number two, reach for the fruits of the Spirit. As Christians, we possess and display the fruit of the Spirit of God who resides in our hearts. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Through God and by His Spirit, we know what to do and where to turn. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 says this. Proverbs 3 verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Along with this, we have access to all wisdom from above, as James talks about, and the peace that passes understanding, as Paul talks about in Philippians. And as we grow and mature in Christ, we begin to think not only of ourselves, but of others. Our greatest joy becomes what we can do for others and give to others and how we can help them grow and help them prosper spiritually. Perhaps the question you can ask yourself when you think, am I being amazing, isn't how do I measure up to those around me, but how do I measure up to God's standard of me? Am I bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? Do you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and the rest of the fruits of the Spirit growing in your life? Are the fruits of the Spirit the thing that people think of you when they interact with you on a day-to-day basis? Man, that person is so full of joy. That person is so full of love. 
is that what they see when you post online? Because that's, that's what being truly amazing looks like. Number three, finally, run after the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, One more page. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What kingdom are you building? Are you building your own earthly kingdom based on the fear of not being amazing? Or are you running after God's kingdom and living by his standards and by your identity in him? I love how Darren ended his message last Sunday. If you weren't here, his challenge was to take the things that you see from your friends online and and to try honestly, truly, to be filled with joy and celebrate with them at the success they have and the amazing things that they get to do rather than compare yourself and covet those things. I want to say the same thing when it comes to the fear of being amazing. I want to challenge you to shift your perspective and see your social media interaction through God's eyes. Recognize that it's fake. Celebrate what's good and real and then post things that bring God the glory. At the same time, I'd also like to challenge you that if you find yourself feeling the pressure to be amazing, because of all the posts, the likes, and the followers, just turn it off. Close down your accounts. Get rid of it. Put your phone down. Shut your computer off. Rather seek after the things that God has called you to that are real in this world. Real relationship with Him and real relationship with those in your community around you. Amen. Why don't you stand for our closing song?